Hello and welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I'm the professor and my co-host is the, is the DJ. Our third co-host has gone back into cryogenic storage for the time being. <laughs> we'll have Devi Boy back soon. I miss him already. We even gave him a lovely send-off and everything. Yes, I never knew he'd want to be lowered into his uh, chamber to the tune of Never Gonna Give You Up. <laughs> I was hoping we would play a Vera Lynn's We'll Meet Again song. Yeah, that's a bit tacky. <laughs> yeah, we, he'll come back, hopefully. Yeah, so maybe we will need to find a new replacement for him, DJ. And you know what I reckon we could do? We could make another computer to re- replace both you and Devi Boy. <laughs> because you keep breaking down. And every boy keeps leaving. <laughs> and you're the only human left. <laughs> yeah. I'm starting to not like my odds in the inev- inev- inevitable robot <laughs> uprising. You know, it's, it's like the scene from I Am Legend. You're like the only guy left and all you have left is a dog. That wouldn't be too bad. But, come on. Um, come on. That if it, sort if of it, ends tragically for the dog. Yeah, but the thing is, though, you don't have anyone else to talk to and a dog doesn't talk back. Doesn't need to. <laughs> well, we might not be up to the point of completely replacing Devi Boy with a robot yet, but the very first theatrical play written by an AI is going to premiere soon. So, well, this is a bit of a, a bit funny though, because the word robot originally came from a Czech play about a artificial factory workers designed to serve humans. Now we have robots writing plays. <laughs> that is going to be fun. Yeah. Apparently it's uh, nothing groundbreaking and amazing, but it has moments. So, so this what? is based on GPT-2, not GPT-3, which is a newer one. GPT-3, you actually have to sign an agreement when you get access to it, basically saying you won't use it for nefarious purposes because GPT-3 is so advanced. How advanced are we saying here? Like, is, is it capable of hacking into government facilities and launching nuclear no. weapons that kind of, uh, are kind of uh, powerful? No, it's the kind of uh, powerful where a it can write indistinguishably from a actual human under the right conditions. Thomas Scott did a video on it recently, actually, um, going into detail about it. I've heard about it. It's actually, I spoke about AI Dungeon a year or so ago. That's based on GPT-3. It was on GPT-2, but they released an update with GPT-3. And basically, with these GPT models, you load in data that you want it to learn from, And it spits back out sentences based on that data. So AI Dungeon created this wonderful little interactive fiction generator where it would respond to whatever you put into it. It's actually a lot of fun. But because uh, GPT-2 is limited in the amount of text it can generate at once without going off the rails, the the team who wrote this play with the AI wrote eight five-minute scenes (laughs) only containing dialogue between two characters at a time, because that's another thing it's not great at. It's not great at keeping identity straight. You can see that in AI Dungeon. And it's not good at, um, not the best at dialogue yet. All this reminds me of that um, scene from The Simpsons when um, Mr. Burns goes, in this room there are a thousand monkeys writing a... Writing the world's greatest novel, he picks up a page. It could be the best of times. It could be the worst of times. Yeah, the infinite monkeys paradigm. (laughs) 
It's uh, fortunately more efficient than having infinite monkeys and infinite typewriters because that would get expensive fast. Have you seen the price of bananas? <laughs> yeah, in this current climate, yeah, it can get very expensive. Yeah, so this um, Tom Scott video I mentioned earlier, he got access to GPT-3 and then got it to write him titles and scripts based on the uh, transcriptions of his previous videos. And it ended up with um, surprisingly accurate, like scarily accurate. Because here's the thing, though, like with with um, AI, it does always follow the what's trending properly. Like if it's for video ideas and such, it will, it will always follow the algorithms of certain certain um, sites like YouTube algorithms. No, it won't. It won't. It depends on your training set. So the training set for this Tom Scott video was just Tom Scott videos. So it learned from that how to write a, a video that sounds like Tom Scott wrote it. <laughs> now, Maybe. if you just got an AI and threw in all of Twitter, you get something ridiculous. Like when Microsoft tried that with Tay, and it took very little time at all for the Twitter users to teach her to be racist. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was funny. Yeah, and they had to put her down because she got too racist. <laughs> And they realized, hey, maybe uh, taking a public training set and letting people know what we're doing was a mistake. That being said, though, with the uh, AI creating plays and whatnot, it would be interesting um, to put this on Broadway and whatnot. Imagine every five-minute scene would be an intermission. Like, how many intermissions are there going to be? I think you don't need to have an intermission there. And considering it's only eight eight five-minute scenes... It's not going to be a particularly long play because that only adds up to about 40 minutes of content. And they say each scene is less than five minutes. Mm -hmm. So they did have to massage the script a little bit. They estimate about 10% of it had human. Wait, only 10%? (laughs) Yeah, usable right as it came out of the machine. So perhaps a bit worryingly, the (laughs) behave on the internet, it's kinky and violent. Imagine if Romeo and Juliet was written by an AI. <laughs> yeah. It would not end well. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, the um, the video doesn't seem to be available anymore. Um, they did seem to publish it on YouTube, but I the video is private now. Oh. Which is a damn shame. <laughs> because uh, I hadn't realized it was actually out, and I really wanted to go and check that out. So uh, the team behind it say that a conversation about euthanasia ended up in a fight about who had whose finger in whose anus. (laughs) Considering there's only two characters in that scene, I feel like that's a pretty easy decision to make. (laughs) Wow, that escalated from a deep philosophical uh, philosophical talk to to just a straight-up porno movie. (laughs) Yeah. So it needs uh, a bit of work there, obviously, unless that's what you're going for. <laughs> It'd be like, can, can you imagine uh, Pornhub getting this idea? Like, hey, who needs a Pornhub? Oh, no, no, do not even think of that. <laughs> do not think of feeding in porn scripts into the AI, DJ. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 
it would it would be a fun it'd be a fun experiment. I mean, the memes would be incredible, but at <laughs> what cost? <laughs> For the destruction of the internet. <laughs> but in all seriousness, though, like for. Like, how are they going to separate? Like, what's the um, ma- like, what's the main, the body, and the um, the ending of the whole thing? Like, in forty minutes. I mean, normally for plays and stuff, it's always there would always be this. There's always the overarching plot. Then there's always the subplots. Like in forty minutes, you can't. It's hard to like combine them all into one into forty minutes. That's it's hard. I mean, look at like Shakespeare, for example. Like his play, his epic plays, like Hamlet and King Lear and stuff. They had like lo- it was long drawn out, yeah, but there were like so many subplots in it. Yeah, I think only having two characters per scene really limits the amount of subplots you can get into, and I think it will also be limited because they generated in such small chunks rather than uh, generating through uh, generating the whole script in one pass. Because they had to generate it in such short passes to avoid all of the all of the issues with the AI basically going off the rails, it's going to, I think, be a fairly simple script. Imagine introducing this um, AI to school plays. <laughs> Maybe not until they solve the problem with it uh, being obsessed with sex. <laughs> <laughs> Like, sex ed just went on a weird, weird turn. <laughs> Please, no. <laughs> oh, God. I'm having too much fun with this. <laughs> but, um, I could, like, here's a, okay, expand, let's expand this idea, though, of, of like, an AI creating, um, these sorts of plays and stuff. Can you imagine this expanding to maybe, like, it's a, this whole thing, writing a movie? Yes. I actually um, brought that up a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the AI in Gaming Summit. Oh, yeah. What happens when they can make games or movies or stories that are perfectly tailored to you? So two people won't get the same plot, but it's so perfectly tailored to you, you get absolutely hooked. But the problem is with movies, you have the the scope the scope of characters is more. Like, it's not like a... a, a Broadway play, for example, it's just, it could the scope of characters on a, on a um, stage would always be like two people, like for a well, conversation. And stuff. Give it time. In fact, there are movies that only have two or three actors in them. I mean, the movie Stalker, ninety percent of the runtime of that movie is the same three characters. Oh yeah, there like there are some movies which has two characters. Like uh, you're right, Stalker, the, the the Stalker movie. Yeah, I I agree with you there. There's also what's the other one? Um, uh, the Lighthouse, which starred yeah. um, the, William Dafoe and um, Robert Pattinson. That had two people as well. Like I agree with you there. There are some movies, but then there there is always. But then there are some like big budget blockbuster movies where you just go like, okay, it's more than just two people. It's like The Fast and the Furious, for example, like nine or ten of them. Well, give it time. Yeah, this is the very first AI-generated play, mm. or at least the first being publicly performed. The I don't expect it to be perfect right off the bat. I don't expect it to write me an epic. I think the AI needs a few more years of training and learning before it can do that. But eventually, the AI will be capable of writing. You know, it'll be as good as the Odyssey. 
and it can write something that long that flows that well without stumbling eventually. And hopefully it doesn't go into very gratuitous detail. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not going to judge if that's what people are looking for, but it's not going to make it into the mainstream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it could it could go into the uh, into the um indies and 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 art house films. Maybe. So, you know, give it a bit of time, it'll get there. It'll be exciting to watch once it gets running. So they're doing this one 40-minute play now. Who knows where we'll be in five years? Even the difference between GPT-2 and GPT-3 is incredible. There is one more thing I was going to say about the uh, AI bot in terms of writing. Can you imagine the amount of money studios will save with that thing? Like, it's not it's, cheap paying writers. Is it? Like... Four riders were a fairly cheap part of it. I mean, it's Hollywood, so they'll do anything to save a buck. Yeah. But surely the uh, the writers are going to be cheaper than Brad Pitt. <laughs> Which, you know, with um, deep fakes and all that, James Dean was cast in a movie last year or the year before. Oh, He's yeah. only been dead for decades. <laughs> I remember that one. Yeah, oh, so... Sooner or later, we're going to be able to make the entire movie just on a server farm, and it's going to be, you know, photorealistic CGI. I think we've just destroyed Hollywood. <laughs> maybe. Maybe it'll just cost that much to run the server farm that only Hollywood can pull it off. We'll see. Now, DJ, I understand you're a bit of a Fallout fan. Uh-huh. Well, not a, not a fan, but <laughs> not really a big, big fan. But uh, yeah, I, I like a good Fallout game, especially when it doesn't end with 76. Well, that's good, because this is about Fallout 4. Ah. Do you like Fallout 4? I've never, full disclosure, I've never played that game. Oh, okay. Which ones have you played then? I played 76, and that was, the, that was my first Bethesda game. Really? You've never played an Elder Scrolls or a Fallout? Nope. I mean, you've probably also you've probably have played a game published by Bethesda. Doom um, is belongs to them now. Yeah, um, yeah, that Doom. Uh, yeah, Doom would be one. Would be the one. Would be one of them. Yeah. They have a lot of uh, a lot of stuff now. Yeah. That they're taking on a sort of publisher role. So anyway, before there was the disaster of Fallout seventy six, there was Fallout four, which a lot of Fallout fans didn't enjoy because. It strayed from the traditional RPG aspects and had really limited conversation choices, which I agree with. The conversation in it, it compared to most other RPG games is pretty bad. There's a meme that your options when discussing something are yes, no, uh, maybe later, or sarcastic yes. <laughs> that sounds weird. Yeah, the writing in it is not on the sort of level that Fallout fans have come to appreciate, I think. Um, so then they did a couple of smaller DLCs which were better received, much like 76. The 76 six expansions are considered better content than the 76 space game. Just curious, uh, Fallout 4 was the time when New Vegas came out, wasn't it? Or was, it, was that no. Fallout 3? New Vegas is an expansion for Fallout 3. Okay, okay. Well, it's not really an expansion, it's a, its own game, but it's on the same engine. Okay. And uh, they made it in about two weeks, which is why it's so horribly buggy. <laughs> Seriously, they had basically no time to bodge together a game in that engine, which already wasn't the most stable, but the fact Fallout New Vegas launches at all is uh, amazing. 
so, so Fallout uh, Fallout Four comes after that, and comes with a season pass. So thirty dollars later increased to fifty dollars to all D- DLC ever done for the game. Oh, that's a very that's a very nice uh, offer. Yeah, you get some good DLC. There's the one for robots, which is pretty short but nicely put together. Uh, Far Harbor, Nuka World, the Buildy one. And I think that's it. But then Bethesda came out with a new thing called the Creation Club. Creation Club was pretty controversial when it came out because it's paid mods. Only you can't get Creation Club content on the season pass. So does Creation Club count as DLC or not? Um, it's basically a store where you can buy little add-ons, costumes. Um, in fact, I think Fallout 4 had a survival mode that was on um, Creation Club, or was it Skyrim that did? And you were basically better off getting a proper mod for that because then you'd save 15 bucks. So do you think that that sort of stuff should count as DLC? It... Um... Okay, I, I, as I said, I haven't played any, um, played Fallout Four, but I would say it is a it is kind of as DLC in terms of you're downloading from a service kind of thing. Like you're downloading from the, from the from the Fallout service. Okay, so Creation Club is a combination of Bethesda made and fan made content, which is why it's called paid mods. Yeah, and uh, do they? What's the share like for? For the paid mods, like... Um, I don't think it was good, but that's not what I'm talking about tonight. That's fair, that's fair. The deal for tonight is that Bethesda doesn't agree that uh, Content Club is DLC. Sorry, Creation Club. So there's now a class action lawsuit going on, which is also likely to delay uh, Microsoft's purchase. Ooh, a class action lawsuit in the middle of a... Well, not really a merger... An acquisition. Yeah, middle of an acquisition. That does not give good press. No, this this class action has been on the cards since uh, 2019, uh, but the could take until 2022 to get sorted out, and they estimate damages to 1.1 billion. Yeah, which it's going to be interesting to see uh, which path management takes here. Will they side with Microsoft's decisions? Or will they keep being in control for the next couple of years while this blows over? One of the things Microsoft promised was that every game that was currently planned would come out on PlayStation. They're not going to lock down uh, Bethesda stuff to Xbox until the... The the court case ends. Well, no, until they start developing new games, Uh, which I like. It's uh, far nicer than saying, look at this shiny new game you can play and then taking it away from you. <laughs> I mean, not the happiest that means games are going to be console exclusive, but definitely better than the other way. For the uh, Creation Club, just curiously, is it for all the consoles? Is it console-based only, or is it for console and PC? Both. Okay. On console, it's the only way to get a mod. On PC, you can mod. But on console, I'm pretty sure the only way to mod is with the Creation Club. See... Oh, that's that, see. That's the interesting part because the problem with Creation Club when you put, introduce it into PC, it's always the um you get a mod in the Creation Club, but it costs a shit ton of money, and you'd be going, oh man, if, if there's a cheaper way, I can maybe pirate it off um 
which we don't condone, by the way. Um, yeah. But I can pirate this off on Reddit or um, somewhere else. Like with Creation Club, it's just you've got this mod and you can only go through us. You can't go through the internet on this. Yeah, a lot of the mod makers on Creation Club also had their content released previously on modding sites. But I understand where you're coming from there. And I I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who wouldn't take the mod option. But this so would... oh. you've uh, given your opinion that CC is DLC. I'm not 100% convinced either way. Oh? Well, often when you see a season pass, they will say contains this DLC and tell you what they're working on. And um, in this case, they've said all DLC. But... At the time, there were no plans for Creation Club. Mm. So I'm not 100% sure which way it will go or which way it should go. So what were you saying there, DJ? I was going to say the bigger question, the big question would be, will this lawsuit be a precedent to other studios that are doing like Creation Club-like work? Absolutely. If this comes out in favor of the uh, class action, then that means Bethesda will owe anything they release on Creation Club for Fallout 4 to season pass owners. Meanwhile, everyone else will have to pay full price. And that's going to be a terrible business decision because if there's no point paying for stuff on Creation Club when you can get it significantly cheaper by season pass. So if you buy the season pass for 50 bucks, um, you're saving money on literally everything on the Creation Club. And not, not, not to mention uh, the other problem you'll be expecting to find is copyright as well. Well, that's all sorted. Oh, that's all sorted. Yeah. Bethesda will have already negotiated copyright with the mod maker. Okay. Who do you think is eyeing on this case very closely at this case? Anyone else with a similar partnership. So Valve, I think. Valve, to my knowledge, has never done a season pass because I've never really done DLC. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Jokes about Valve never releasing games, etc., etc. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, you can't really run afoul of the season pass when you've never had it. But this could be a cautionary tale for other companies to not do this. Um, Depending on how it goes, it'll either be don't run a season pass or make it very explicit what's included. Which could be bad for gamers, because if you're saying to everyone, um, you only get mods A, B, and C, then then you announce mod D, season pass owners aren't going to get that. Whereas if you say contains all content and you only planned A, B, and C, but come up with an idea for D, then they'll get that as well. But uh, this was supposed to be a bit of a whip around, so we should move along. Mm-hmm. Um, onto the Sinking City. This is a game that came out a couple of years ago, a Lovecrafty and Horror, which I was looking forward to playing before I got pulled from storefronts. Uh, the developer and the publisher had a bit of a, a bit of an argument and it's no longer available until this week when the de- the publisher uh, released the game on Steam. It's an older, unpatched version, and the developer says, don't buy it, it's old and unpatched. And <laughs> also, they cracked and pirated our game. Oh. The publisher is saying, you're not meeting the contractual obligations. So not entirely clear who's in the right here, but I wouldn't recommend buying the Steam version of... Uh, of Sinking City because it is missing patches. This is blackmail. How so? Like they're, they're using the con- they're using the contract as blackmail to say 
we could do it. We, we can release our game and you can't do and if you and if you want this game to be pulled out um you have to fulfill our contract obligations kind of deal well yes but that's how contracts work you go into a contract with the agreement that you will meet x requirement if you don't meet x requirement then you get in trouble that's the way contracts work yeah I get, yeah but this one it's just that's nasty. This is very nasty. Yeah, it's hard to say who's right. So we'll probably hear more about this in the coming days. It is currently off Steam again because the developer has issued a DMCA. Ooh. So every time I hear that, I can't help but think of uh, the village people. <laughs> young man, get your DMCA. I said, young man, go and pirate those games. I said, young man. <laughs> Someday we'll make a music video out of it. <laughs> it'll be, oh God, it'll be a meme. <laughs> mm, please no. I mean, once you involve the lore into in, in into the scenario, it 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 gets very very messy. Yeah, we'll have to see how this shakes out in court. Mm-hmm. But speaking of court, oh. you might remember the Epic vs Apple case where Epic is suing Apple for monopolizing the App Store. Well, Apple decided to sub Huina Valve, who runs the biggest PC store, for game sales data. Oh. <laughs> I don't understand how this is like valid and relevant, because even if the game is cross-published on mobile and PC, Valve isn't competing with Apple. Because you can't, like, they're not really, I wouldn't say they're competing. Because if I want to buy the game on mobile, I have to buy it from Apple. I can't not, unless I'm on Android, but you get my point. Yeah. If I want to buy it on PC, I would have to buy it from Valve or maybe Origin or Epic, whoever. So Valve said, this is ridiculous, we're not going to do it. And the court has ruled that they have to, but limited the time frame that they have to release the data for from six years down to four. Oh, man. Yeah. So the trial, though, is due to happen in uh, May. I mean, well, that's it's it's scary how they can pull, whip out the get um the sales data and just give it to um give it to the, to the legal cases. I mean, that's scary. Well, it's probably a legal requirement, yeah. and I doubt they will be identifying information. It's not going to be like DJ bought this um, visual novel and installed the nudity patch. Because I know that's what you do, DJ. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, man. I, I, I cannot confirm nor deny it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's not going to say DJ bought this game. It's just going to say in July, 500 units were sold of this game at this price. So I still think it's ridiculous. I don't think um, Apple really has a case here for getting Valve's data. But the judge also said, Apple has salted the earth with subpoenas, so don't worry, it's not just you. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> because when, once this started, Apple was basically like, you get a subpoena, you get a subpoena, everybody look under your chairs, you've got subpoenas. <laughs> uh, by, by the way, it's pronounced subpoena. Yeah, yeah. I Did I say that earlier correctly? Nope, it's a subpoena. Okay. <laughs> like, I thought I might have said it correctly earlier, but you know. <laughs> But yeah, the, yeah, Apple was going crazy with the subpoenas. <laughs> yeah. So basically everyone's come out and going to have to hand over that data for this case. And we'll find out in May. I mean, are they, like, well, but what's the point of this whole thing? I mean, 
like, are they trying to make themselves relevant again? Like, or is it just a publicity no. stunt? No, it's just money making. Epic didn't want to. The whole reason this happened is because Epic didn't want to pay Apple's share of the App Store sales, which, you know, arguably they don't have to. I think there's a solid argument there that Apple has monopolized the App Store. Yeah, it's a given. Like, yeah, because there's no way to install apps on iPhone without going through Apple. So, you know, not a legal opinion, but my opinion. Um, Apple is trying to lock down the platform, and I'm happy to see this court case happen. But at the same time, Epic are doing it in a way that feels a lot like they're trying to score points. Like with that ad where they ripped off the Apple um, the Apple ad, and are all like, we're for the gamers, and all of that. <laughs> yeah. Because they weren't concerned about this before they launched their own store. They don't seem to have cared until they launched a store and had to deal with that. Yeah, I remember that we for the gamers ads. They, they were trying, they were trying to take the piss out of uh, the 1984 commercial. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they're trying to make it look like they're some hero. <laughs> when they're not, they're just another greedy millionaire com- company. But none of these companies are your friend. Nope, <laughs> not even Valve. As much as I'd like to believe Valve are perfect and could do no wrong, they can't. Nah, and they've been taken to court for it. The whole reason we can get refunds is because Australia had a go at Valve. But moving on, even more games drama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some cyberpunk news. Oh, boy. So we all know the, st- the lovely story of uh, CD Projekt Red being hacked by a ransomware attack. Hey, that was a, that, that was a crazy, crazy time. So, well, that uh, was only two weeks ago, and it's still ongoing. Oh, it's still ongoing. Uh, so they've auctioned off the stolen source code um, with with a million dollar pay payday. And, Do you know uh, how they accepted payment? Was it Bitcoin? I think it was Bitcoin. Yeah, they said here the initial leak was believed to be an internal source code of the CD CD Project Red's virtual gamer um, virtual card game Gwent. While VX yeah. Underground disclosed that the auctions for for the more valuable source code were happening on a hacking forum known as Exploit. Uh, yeah, there were some various leaks, and they showed off a bit of the code to prove that they'd done it. Yeah, the uh, Kela, which is the uh, cybersecurity firm, uh, said that the auction offered the source codes for the co- source code files for CDPR game releases, including The Witcher Three. Uh, Wild Hunt, Thornbreaker, The Witcher Tales spin-off, and the recently released Cyberpunk. The starting price was a million dollars, with the higher bidders in increments of five hundred thousand and a buy it now price of seven million. That's a lot of money. Yeah, for things that aren't of huge benefit to you. Uh, so only users who have deposited zero point one Bitcoin can participate, uh, which is why Cleavage. Uh, Kilevich, I'm oh, oh, butchering the name. <laughs> Cleavage, your mind is uh, wandering a bit there. I know, it's, it's, it's spelled like Kilevich, K-I-V-I-L-E-V-I-C-H. I, 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 I guess I'm butchering the name. I believe the hackers were serious about hosting the auction. Man, how much was the price? So um, the group behind it was known as the Hello Kitty ransomware attacks. That's, that's the Hello Kitty is the group, and uh, yeah, they joined. They joined a number of games companies to recent that recently suffered the fate, and uh, yeah, they've they've gone crazy. <laughs> 
So they've done the Chris. The the path of destruction uh, includes the Christmas Christmas 2020 attacks, where they uh, notably the Russian attacks uh, successfully disabled U- Ukraine power networks for two consecutive Christmas Eves. Oh yeah, I remember that. Oh man. So yeah, uh, CD Projekt Red have recently come out saying that they're delaying a promised update to a much uh, to the to Cyberpunk 2077, pinning the blame on the slow progress of the recent security breach. Yeah, they're still locked out of their computers two weeks later. <laughs> Your IT <laughs> team is incredible. Oh, but yeah, so. So, but rewind that back, okay? So after the whole, um, before the whole attack, Cyber Team Cyberpunk were announcing that they're going to introduce a whole lot of patches to fix up the game, and the cyber cyber attack happened, and they inc- and they've issued a tweet saying the recent cyber attack on the studio's IT infrastructure and extensive scope of the update means that this unfortunately will not happen. It now aims to release this this patch on the second half of March. And Project Red has also said that it's refused to play a, pay a ransom to the hackers and said that it will c- has cut off remote access to internal network resources and isolate the internal network from the internet. Uh, this is according to a statement from the company on February 17. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of uh, computer hacks, well, specifically gaming company hacks this year in the last year because everyone's working from home and a lot of companies weren't prepared. Oh, no. And the result was employees remain unable to log on to the company's virtual private network, making it impossible to access the system and tools needed for the job. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's 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 a sting in the that's a sting. Yeah, so it can take a long time to recover from ransomware if prepared correctly. Can you guess if they're prepared correctly? <laughs> You know what's going to be interesting, though? Because of this, they, it looks like they're potentially more vulnerable now for more attacks. No. No? Once they take all of their hardware off the network, they're basically secure. And I think you're right. People will see this and think they're an easy mark and start poking around. But I'd hope they wouldn't find anything because everything should already be closed off. Yeah. The other um, scary part, the other bad part about this uh whole fiasco is that the hackers also um may have also involved in doxing the uh, personal info of of uh, of employees including the identification polish identification numbers and passport details uh and also forced the workers to also ship their computers to the company's it staff to be scanned for malware now that's bad like shipping your computer in to be scanned that makes sense you want to check everything and make sure that you're not going to be exposed once you come back online. But people's public, you know, private information, that's terrible. That should not be happening. That's like, that's even worse than the game data. Game data is of limited use, but identity thieves are everywhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a given. Yeah. Do you reckon, though, like, here's the thing, though, the narrative people are going to spin with this sort of attacks and whatnot is going to be, oh, angry Cyberpunk 2077 fans have decided to take it upon themselves to do this sort of attack. I think that could have been the narrative, but if it's confirmed that it was Hello Kitty, then I don't think that can be the narrative. I think Hello Kitty, uh, you know, known for hacking. So it's likely that they 
just pick CDPR randomly or semi-randomly. How do you how do you think this will play out for um, Project Red though with this fiasco? I'm disappointed they haven't got a controlled already. They don't seem like such a big company that it should be taking them this long to um, recover. It does also put a shadow in um, in the future of the franchise as well. I mean, Cyberpunk was very, very hyped. It was incredibly hyped and incredibly poorly received. Um, because they rushed it out, they weren't ready. They don't have the capability to produce a game to that standard. And it also uh, puts the, the future of the uh, company on question as well. I kind of doubt that. I think it's unlikely there will be permanent repercussions for the company. I mean, I would blame the I, I would blame the uh, IT team for not suspecting this earlier. <laughs> well, it's very hard to catch a hacker in the app, mm. and a sophisticated group who can hack the Ukraine power grid. I'm not surprised that CDPR failed to contain this. They're not the only company I know of been hacked and failed utterly to con- contain it. And I think you know we're not going to. People aren't going to forget, but it's not going to have long-term repercussions on it because they'll release a new game in another couple of years and gamers will go back to playing it just like they always have. That's fair. That's fair. So only time will tell whether we will get whether this game will survive in the end? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm waiting for Cyberpunk sort of Game of the Year edition. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I know yeah, it's not ever, really Game of that- the Year. But what I mean is the all-in-one uh, edition that they release. Yeah. I tr- can't think of the right word for it now. Sometimes it's called, like, Director's Cut. Yeah, sometimes it's called Game of the Year. Sometimes it's called Director's Cut. Sometimes they call it, like, the Special Edition or the Collector's Edition, that kind of thing, yeah. Yeah. I'll, yeah. But, yeah, with yeah the, with, I'll give with, it a year, buy whatever DLC comes out, and then play it. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully that 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 might bring some hope to the franchise, but yeah, only only time will tell, honestly. So, DJ, what nerdful thing have you been doing? <laughs> well, I have been taking a long, long break from watching uh, the Exarm anime series. Yes, I know. I know for those Thank who were... whatever deity exists. <laughs> Well, what can I say? I, I've been watching it, but I just haven't been ranting enough about it. So I will rant about it eventually. So it, that, that rant is coming. You, you just have to wait for it. But in the meantime, I've been reading a very interesting comic book series known as Berserker. We've, uh, we, were, we, t- we, had, we talked about this a while back. This was the one with uh, Keanu Reeves writing the writing a comic creating yeah written and creating the comic yeah and what's the gist of that the gist of it is basically keanu reeves is an immortal war oh keanu reeves is a oh oh, it's really a self-insert basically of keanu reeves as a immortal warrior known as berserker and he just basically uh fights people and he's hired by the government to do all these like crazy stuff and i read i've read the first issue and i will say very very bloodthirsty like you could you could see him punching i'm not sure if i heard you right was that fights or bites people fights people okay he fights and he's immortal as well so he he just punches people through their um like smashing people um punching through their heads with with his fist and 
eviscerating people. It it's John Wick, <laughs> but it went but with Keanu Reeves self insert being immortal. Like they're okay, like okay, it sounds very self inserting. Oh, it, it is insane. I mean, some like there was a point where he's just charging at a car, and <laughs> the bullets are fly like in piercing at him and he's like oh, oh give a crap and he drops drop kicks it to the window and the boots just land on the gut on the driver's face and and you can see the blood like splatter everywhere okay <laughs> and he's like, like i say he's immortal so he, he 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 just goes insane and the pacing of it is very fast paced and uh the panel like there's a lot of blood and guts, so it's not safe for the kids, everybody. So, yeah. Um, so this whole thing is basically him just going through a mission in the first issue. He's punching. He's bloodied up. He's destroying people left, right, and center. Like, like at one stage, he's just driving a car into a plane and it explodes, and he's just destroying things. At the end of the mission, he um, he's doing this all to get um, his more wants to be mortal, basically. That's his okay. wish. Uh, that's his end of the bargain. The other, the government's end of the bargain is we just wants to take, we want, we just want to take a genetic material from you and try and create clones from you. Of course, so, I do. Yeah. So yeah. So he's being so Berserker is being uh, fed tablets, uh, which which might rend- which renders him mortal, and he's just talking to a talking to a lady um psycho- psychiatrist after the mission about the whole thing, and he's saying like, oh, something different happened. Oh, what and. And spoilers, at the end of it, he goes, oh, I'm just thinking about my past, um, the day I was born, 80,000 80, years ago. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, it, it, it's pretty um, pretty full on. That's that's a good term to say it. Pretty full on. Not, not safe for kids, by the way. <laughs> like, so much blood and gore. Yep. Yeah. What would you rate it? Um... I would rate it uh I would rate it four out of five. The only thing um that my only criticism about this comic would be the uh the excessive violence. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> and you don't normally shy away from excessive violence. Not really. I mean like they're they're they like if it's like a like really if it's like crazy like Game of Thrones ish violence and I just go, okay, yeah, this is kinda getting a bit Way out of hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, I like the whole bit of the pacing of it and the build up. It's a slow build. It's it's slowly building up. Even though this is issue number one, it, it's slowly starting to build a um a story. So that's why I like I like about this. It's like no um full on and slow as well. So yeah. So yeah, I I would give it a four out of five nerdy beanies. Okay, and I've been getting back into Day Z. Ooh, Day Z. Z. <laughs> we speak proper English here. <laughs> the, uh, yeah. So, do you miss the hunting and the shooting and the? Yeah, actually, I've got to appreciate that they finally, you know, made something. <laughs> it's been a long time coming. Um, I think DayZ Standalone first came out in 2013, so it's been a long time coming. It's taken forever. They finally, finally, I have frames per second rather rather than seconds per frame. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Yeah. I've tried De- uh, I think I've told you this. I've tried Day Z before, and my biggest gripe with that game is is always the oh you have to find the server and you're like, "Oh, what?" <laughs> um this- 
now it seems to automatically pick your server. So I don't have any issues with the servers at the moment. Um, been playing on one particular server with my friend. It's decently populated. I've had a look at a server browser and seen some of the servers uh, just have, custom servers in particular, just have what I think of probably way too many people. There's 80 people there, which I think would get really crowded. Um, so if I pull up the official servers for Australia, yeah, it defaults to 60 players now. Okay. Um, I'm kind of curious now. If I show all servers and then scale up the minimum player count, oh, wow, there are servers there with 110 players. Oh, what? Yeah, that would be way too crowded, I think. <laughs> I'd be interested I mean, in trying it to see how well it handles that many people because this is a, a new engine. It's no longer the old Armor 2 engine. It's a custom engine built on oh, built on security. Uh, one of the problems with the Armor engine is that it's very trusting. So you see people are able to hack into anything they want there. Uh, so you the new the, servers... Uh, in, the, oh, oh. You mean the uh, Infusion engine? Yes, Infusion Engine, that's what it's called. So I'm kind of interested to see how well it does handle the high player count servers with lots of AI, because this is probably what they're going to make Armor 4 on, and I'm a big Armor nut. Um, but other than that, the so the playing experience is hugely improved. Um, there's almost no jank in there. I think the crafting system could be improved. Uh, it is a bit circuitous and unclear, um, I think so. An improved crafting system and probably maybe a few more zombies in areas. I'm not sure. They are still working on the economy, though, and doing uh, server wipes, which I'm not too happy with because it's supposed to be 1.0. I don't think you should be doing server wipes for a, a economy balance after 1.0. That's the sort of thing you should do in your beta phase. So if they're doing it in 1.0, what else are they waiting to do? You know, hmm. what is even the point of a 1.0 these days? <laughs> I know games like Minecraft really stretch it because it's still having major content patches like 19 versions after 1.0. But <laughs> It's like 1.0.19. Yeah, I think the next Minecraft update is 1.19. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, so... Um, Oh, no, the next one is actually going to only be 1.17. Oh. So I'm a bit out. but uh, there, there is a 1.19, though. It's the war update, they call it, and its release date is the 28th of April 2022. I have never heard of that update, so that sounds like a... Uh, uh, yeah, it sounds like a fan. And, yeah, it's yeah. a fan-made, yeah, yeah. Because they don't tend to be that prepared. Like they, when they announce the next update, they hold a poll to um, vote for certain features, mm -hmm. and um, so I don't think they're that far ahead. Yeah, but the uh, you're right. The official official one is Java one point Java edition one point one seven, and it's the cliff caves and cliffs. Yeah, which I'm really excited for the new world gen, and that looks incredible. But anyway, uh, back on today's Ed. Yeah. Like, when you're making fundamental changes to economy, I don't feel like your game's really ready for 1.0 yet, but clearly they think otherwise. Um, it's nice having melee attacks that actually attack. Melee in the mod was so dodgy because armor was never designed to be a um, melee game. Nah. So I'm hoping a lot of the um, new features cross-pollinate back into armor. 
I'd give it, I think, um, 2.75 out of 5. I think the content's probably going to wear a bit thin, although the new map is great. I'm loving the new map. It's a welcome change from the original Cherneris map and has so many features in there. One thing I'm disappointed about is that enterable build buildings was supposed to be a design goal. Every building was going to be enterable, if I remember correctly. Someone can find that and prove me wrong if you want. <laughs> but uh, the that's how I remember it being. And now there's a whole section of apartment buildings north of Cherno, which are empty and worthless. No loot spawns in them because you're not supposed to be able to go into them properly. The stairs are collapsed. And it just kind of feels like like going back on that um, idea of everything being enterable. You know, what's the point of even going there? Because there's nothing there. No loot, no gear, no good spots to camp. And if they did pour the map straight back into armor four or armor three, you can't go up into the building. So they're not going to be a like hideout or anything anyway. Unless if they're trying to do the whole uh, PUBG kind of model. You know, PUBG was a mod for DayZ. Ah, that I yeah. did not know. The guy who made PUBG, Brendan Green, yep. player unknown, he um, has been making uh, Battle Royale mods for games for years before he got picked up to make PUBG. So we'll have a uh, quick ad break and then back to our shout-outs and events of interest. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. All right, DJ Uweeb, I think you're going to like this one. On the 26th of February this year, it was the 35th anniversary of the original Dragon Ball. So it started in uh, manga form in 1984 in Shonen Jump and was then converted into an anime two years later. And they're still bloody making it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's still going. Off and on, but, you know, there's not many shows that off and on production for 35 years. There are a lot that keep production, a lot of soap operas and then Doctor Who. But um, well, even Doctor Who didn't keep going for 35 years straight. So, yeah, oh, mostly no, soap I mean, operas. I mean, Doctor Who kept on going even with, okay, even without the TV show, there was the movie yeah. and the and the, and the spin, or I don't know whether the books are part, are part of the Doctor Who canon, though. I mean, but- well, we could talk about that, but we'll be here all night because oh, there is literally... Yeah, you could discuss that for months. That's fair. And a lot of what Chibnall's doing in the last season uh, with the Timeless Child, (laughs) he's bringing in aspects of Time Lord culture that were only mentioned in the books that came out while Doctor Who wasn't on TV. So, you know, is he making it more canon? Mm. Who knows? That's fair. fair. Yeah. And on the 25th of February, it was the 25th anniversary of Pokemon Red and Green. Boy, that takes me back years. Yes, yeah. yeah, the biggest franchise of all time. <laughs> well, it's nice. Bi- well, I hope one day it will. It will. It will be uh, Disney. <laughs> I'm not sure if that would be better or worse. What was it? What was it? That classical term? You, know, you either die a hero or live long enough to become the villain. <laughs> I mean, at least the mouse will speak English to you while he breaks your kneecaps. 
Pikachu will just kill you and be like, Pika. <laughs> oh. oh, I'm just imagining the the shakedown scene from the movie, uh, Detective Pikachu. Oh, no. Where they have the Mr. Mime and they're interrogating him and accidentally set him on fire. <laughs> oh, yeah. In, in mime form. <laughs> that got dark for a kid's oh. movie. Like, was- there are darker bits, but that was a particularly dark moment in an otherwise lighthearted movie. <laughs> that was a very, very scary movie. What part scared you? Oh, like I said, the Mr. Mime, the shakedown. <laughs> I was like, no, you you just ruined my childhood with the innocence of Pokemon. Yeah, I thought I wouldn't mind seeing um someone re-edit the scene with Pikachu and the at the cafe with the Ludicolo and put on the lines from um, Deckard at the noodle shop in Blade Runner. (laughs) On the 1st of March, we had the 15th anniversary of Wikipedia reaching its one millionth article. The honour for millionth article, in English of course, which is the biggest section, was the Jordan Hill Railway Station in Glasgow, created by Nacho King, it describes the train depot as 11 minutes journey time from Glasgow Central and having two platforms. Jimmy Wales said, We are thrilled that our millionth article in English is about the Jordan Hill Railway Station. This is not something that would appear in a traditional encyclopedia, and it shows how Wikipedia reflects the needs and interests of people everywhere, not just the dictates of what academics and cultural mavens claim is worthy of an encyclopedia. Yeah, I'm like... Wikipedia and the internet basically killed the hardback encyclopedia industry. Oh man, I I would kill to get one of those Encyclopedia Dramatica books now just for the sake of collecting it. Dramatica or Britannica? Oh, uh, sorry, Britannica. Sorry, I can't think of Dramatica. Before they died, my nan and pop had a copy of an encyclopedia from the 70s. Oh. It was hilariously outdated in places. <laughs> do you, I don't know whether you remember this. Do you remember the good old DK books that would uh, yeah. talk about information and all of the stuff? And those were fun. Yeah. When I go to um, used bookstores, I sometimes look at old computer books because I love seeing particularly the ones that are like computers explained. They're like, in the future, we'll all be interacting using virtual reality. And it, here we are. 30 years later, still using keyboards and mice for like 90% of things. <laughs> for our remembrance this week, we have Edwin H. Land, co-founder of the Polaroid Corporation. He invented inexpensive filters for polarizing light, a practical system of in-camera instant photography, and the Retinex theory of color vision, among other things. The Polaroid instant camera went on sale in late 1948 and made it possible to take and develop a photo in 60 seconds or less. Look at this photograph! No! (laughs) We do not sing the Nickelback. (laughs) Ah, but it was such a good song to cover this! (laughs) Yeah, well, it's better than that Take a Picture of Me with a Kodak song. Because this is Polaroid. (laughs) Although it's good... Although it's good to see the Polaroids doing a bit of a comeback. Yeah, they're hipster now. (laughs) During World War II, Edwin worked on military tasks, including dark adaptation goggles, target finders, passively guided smart bombs, and a vector graph which could reveal enemy positions in aerial photography. He was known for his marathon research sessions, where he would need to be reminded to eat. He once wore the same clothes for 18 days. Oh. Jeez, that's talk about obsession. 
Yeah. Uh, DJ, you've messed up the show notes. Oh? You put 2021 for Edwin's death. <laughs> he died in 1991. <laughs> I'm not the only one who messes up. <laughs> Damn. Land would have teams of assistants working in shifts while he worked obsessively. He wanted to leave behind a legacy of published work, not who called a personality. So at his death, his assistant shredded his paper and notes, taking three years to complete. Oh. He died at 81 in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I would hate to be the to be his family members just shredding all like stuff about him. Like, can you imagine just like shredding all the high school high school high school photos? Well, high school- not all that, I assume. <laughs> I assume it's mostly his notes from his work. That's a lot of work, and oh. makes me wonder what we could learn from that. Like, people still learn things from the notes of people like Goyla and Dramajan. Yeah, and Steve Jobs as well. I mean, what was it after? Uh, like, what was it years after his death? They it was revealed like that S- Steve Jobs was originally a Syrian refugee. I'm like, wow. What? Yeah, Steve Jobs was originally Syrian. Well, Steve Jobs is the. Uh, he was born in San Francisco and put up for adoption. So I don't know who you've confused him with. No, his biological father was a Syrian migrant. Okay, so not him. His dad was a Syrian. Yeah. Right. But still, like, as I was saying, like, there's, it's so much information that's coming out, like, after all those years. Yeah, most of it doesn't matter. I'd say, you know, this Steve Jobs, uh, his dad being a Syrian, is more um, called a personality rather than the notes of a scientist. Like, Ramajan, people look at his notes about mathematics and learn stuff, even though he's been dead for a while. I mean, there are people like Euler who are so um, so prolific that they take stuff that other people discovered after him and name it after them, because otherwise everything would be Euler's thing. So you couldn't tell that if he'd destroyed all of his notes when he was when he died. No one would know that he'd originally discovered it. For our famous birthday, we have George O. Abel on the 1st of March, 1927, an American teacher at UCLA. He also worked as a research astronomer, administrator, popularizer of science and education, and as a skeptic. He began his astronomical career as a tour guide at Griffith Griffith University in Los Angeles. A galaxy, asteroid, periodic comet, and observatory are all named in his honor. He He taught about science, but also what is not science. And he was an originating member of the Committee on Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal, now known as the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry. Well, that's a, lo- that's a, that's a long Bit of a name. Mouth. Yep. <laughs> His work included the Able Catalogue of 2,712 rich clusters of galaxies and a list of 86 planetary nebulae. He was a debunker of astrology, pseudoscience, and the occult in writing and on television. He was born in Los Angeles, California. And for our events of interest, we have the ridiculous movie Demon Warp on the 1st of March, 1988, starring George Kennedy and Pamela Gilbert. A man and his daughters are attacked in the woods by what they believe is a Bigfoot-type creature. However, they soon begin to suspect that they may have stumbled onto a nest of aliens in a hidden spacecraft. (laughs) To save costs, the director recruited his friends, who were lawyers, to play an army of zombies. (laughs) Well, kind of ironic, huh, when when we always... All the lawyers as a bunch of blood-sucking zombies. (laughs) Yep. And on the 1st of March, 1990, we have the instigating event leading to the foundation of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. So on that date, 
the Secret Service executed a warrant on Steve Jackson Games, seizing their computers, over 300 floppy disks, a master copy of GURP Cyberpunk, a role-playing game they were about to release, which uh, the whole reason for this was that they had, they'd basically come up with these conspiracies and New World Order stuff for their games, which tipped off someone at the Secret Service who decided, these guys are clearly terrorists, we need to bring them down. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's a, a bit silly, I think. It, it's like it, it's like this moral panic situation. Like how, remember how D&D was, uh, was evil at the time? Yeah. So, so the um, they claimed that the GURP cyberpunk rulebook was a handbook for computer crime, and this was 1990. So <laughs> there was a, a like they were starting to take computer crime seriously. It's not like uh, they so the police didn't know what they were doing, but they were trying to take computer crime seriously because this was when a few years after hackers had started to take it seriously. So people like Kevin Mitnick and the hackers who. Um, hacked into the US military in the 80s would have gotten off pretty easy compared to how they would get off now because the US government in particular decided we can't possibly have this. This is so horrible. We'd better come down hard on all these evil computer hackers while not actually understanding how computer hacking worked. Wasn't it in the 90s there was that um, Matthew Broderick movie that came out of him being a hacker? Uh, possibly. Actually, I'm skimming through the um, through the Steve Jackson Games website again. Yeah. Uh, it's not actually because of GURPS. It wasn't until later that, like, the Secret Service used that as misdirection, that they happened to pick up Cyberpunk and claimed, yeah, this is what we're after. But the issue was that uh, the people working at Steve Jackson Games actually interviewed computer experts and hackers to entirely legally, but association with them led to the inv- in the raid on the office. No, it's even more remotely related than that. Yeah, so they were interviewing actual people behind attacks and stuff for the book, but Lloyd Blankenship, an employee, ran a BBS, an early forum system basically, for the Computer Underground, which was entirely legal. The US government picked that up and then said, well, he works here. They're working on a cyberpunk game. Bring him down. <laughs> oh, by the way, the uh, movie I was to- I was telling you about it's called uh, War Games. And- oh yes, is that the one where they accidentally launch the nukes by hacking into the server? No- yeah, oh, yeah, to, uh, to NORAD. <laughs> yeah, the the it was a, g- a game of chess at the end. <laughs> yeah, thinking they're playing a game, but it's actually the uh, launch the nukes button. Yep. <laughs> That movie came out in 1983. Okay. Uh, you might be thinking of, uh, is it Sneakers? Um, there's a lot of hacking movies that came out in the early 90s. Yeah, so we have Sneakers from 1992, which um, Comedy Caper maybe? Yeah. Nah, that's, that's, not, the, nah, that's not the one. <laughs> that, okay. Uh, I think um, there's, there was Hackers, the movie. That was in 1995. Yeah. So there are a lot of these movies from the early 90s. So understandably, um, understandably confusing. Yeah, but uh, okay. That being said, though, like with this, uh, with the U.S. Secret Service coming into Steve Jackson names, it there was some good out of it, though. I mean, yes, the EFS is a 
great organization. And the EFF, sorry, did I say ESS? I meant EFF. You said They're, EFS. <laughs> okay, yeah, EFF is a great organization. They're behind a whole bunch of security and privacy uh, lobbying. I think they're an excellent nonprofit worth supporting. And you can find a whole bunch of stuff on their website discussing the implications of new technology and security and privacy. I wonder how what would EFF say about WikiLeaks? They'd probably support it, I think. But um, yes, that's all we have for tonight. Uh, DJ, where can they find us? Um, they can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. That's not Canada.com, where we have of an archive of our old episodes and they can find new that's not canon podcasts such as well that aged well <laughs> which is a podcast that goes through the history with different experts on every week uh, they go through everything from ancient rome to world war ii so that's a very nice history podcast that does sound like it'll be a lot of fun yep and they can also find us on our lovely youtube channel where we'll be posting up uh, content, and even though it's a sl- even though we're slowly uh, we're slowly building up our content, you will love it. I hope. Right. So, we hope you enjoyed this, and we'll see you next time. Look after yourselves and stay hydrated. Uh, see you guys. Hey, folks. I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.